This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 6, Episode 16. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast. I am your host today, Jacob Paulson. We are without Riley Bowman. And today we are going to be having a great discussion. And I brought a friend with me, Brian Eastridge of Oklahoma City. Welcome, Brian. Hey, how's it going, man? Been a minute? It's been, <laughs> it has been a minute. Certainly been a minute since we did a podcast episode together. And so it's going to be interesting. I thought Brian's perspective coming from a career in law enforcement, um, and that being a family legacy, as it were, would be really valuable in the conversation we're going to have today. We're going to be talking about phrases and commands that you should rehearse as part of your training. And I'm really excited about this. It's something that's been on my mind for a while. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by CCW Safe. I picked that one because, well, A, they're the sponsor. And because B, Brian, you have strong feelings about that company like I do. If you care about not just winning the physical fight that might that might uh, interrupt your life one day, but also winning the aftermath of that, the legal fight, I strongly encourage you to join CCW Safe. Of all the competitors in that space, I think they have the best product, and I certainly think that they're the best people that are going to be able to come to your aid. So please learn more about that at ccwsafe.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by the Guardian Conference, guardianconference.com, the best ROI for your investment in getting uh, better trained and educated and prepared for self-defense incidents that you could that you could do this year. We'll be in Oklahoma City this fall, September 16th, 17th, 18th, and we're really excited about the conference. There's a bunch of uh, pictures and video that have been added from last year's conference. If you want to get kind of a visual idea of what it's going to look like, what it might be like, I encourage you to go to the website. And there's two different videos right on the homepage. So scroll down and watch those. And I think you'll that'll give you a little bit of an idea. If you've been on the fence, uh, go check that out. We're grateful for all the sponsors of that event. And specifically today, I'll highlight Thrum Targets, who is a sponsor of the Guardian Conference. Thank you, Thrum Targets. All right. You ready, Brian? Yeah, man. So we're going to do this thing, and we're going to talk a little bit about this, and I'll, I'll introduce it this way. I think that in in the moment when you're just flustered, it could be because you've just been pulled over by one of those copperoos, and uh, that's a bit of a stressful situation. It could be because you just you know pulled out your gun and thought you were going to die, and you had to you know depress trigger a few times. That's a pretty stressful situation. Uh, it could be because Someone jumps out from behind a dumpster and freaks you out, and you think that they might be about to slit your throat, and you don't know what their intentions are. That's a pretty stressful situation. Any number of things in life that cause great stress put us in a position where it's difficult, in, based on what I know, Brian, you'll, you can speak to your direct experience, but it's difficult to formulate words and get out sensible things, but yet it's also highly important to say the right things to, to manage those environments. Uh, Brian, you have a lot of experience in those kinds of stressful environments. Um, what you know, I mean, is that a common thing you see? People just can't get the right words out. Oh yeah, and it's 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 not just uh, the armed citizen either. Um, I don't know if you if you saw the the video of the hatchet wielding j- criminal a couple. It's probably been a week ago that attacked the officer that was on a traffic stop randomly. Uh, if you yeah. watch that full video, you'll see the you'll see a lot of uh, physiological effects of a massive amount of sh- 
of uh, terrifying stress on the officer. Uh, and he says some phrases out loud that I know he was probably saying to himself in his head. He, at one point, he says, don't fire as he's covering the suspect on the ground. And I'm like, that uh, there's no other explanation for that than he just got a massive adrenaline and stress dump, right? There were several things after the incident that he kept saying, like, I, I don't know who that guy, I don't know who that is. I don't know what, like, the guy just jumped out and attacked me. Um, and you could tell the stress level was extremely high. Um, and then, you know, he, he starts to get a little emotional and everybody kind of like, are you okay? And, uh, but that was a police officer. That's somebody who's trained. That's somebody who has been trained to, you know, at least to some degree and tested to, to handle a situation similar to that. Right. Uh, use, but he had all these phrases coming out of his mouth that there's really no explanation for other than he was just under a great deal of stress. Right. Well, and, and and I think that it's probably viable to suggest that, that police officers get a little bit more stress inoculation. They get more opportunities to be in those environments where they feel that stress. And so maybe it gets a little bit easier over time um, to be able to articulate environment. Whereas the average armed citizen like myself, you know, it might be a, a you know rare occasion that I deal with a traffic stop, let alone pulling my gun and pressing a trigger at somebody. So mm-hmm. It's, it's the kind of thing that really does fluster one. And in, in the moment where it's most important to verbalize certain things a certain way, it's the moment where it's most difficult to verbalize certain things a certain way. And so I think the, the direction of our conversation today is to not give you some sort of cheat sheet necessarily, but to certainly give you some ideas of phrases or, or commands that you might uh, write down and say, oh, you know, I really like that one. I really like, you know, Brian's idea about saying it this way. I'm going to write that down uh, and I'm going to think through that. I'm going to rehearse that. I'm going to utilize that in my training. I'm going to repeat that 10 times before I go to sleep one night. Um, so, so you know, this might be an episode as you're listening or watching this, this episode today, you might get out a pen and paper and you might be prepared to, you know, jot some things down uh, as we go through them. And and you know things that you particularly like or enjoy. So Brian, I think that we kind of decided to break this into three categories. You know, category one will be sort of um, trying to stop an assault. Category two will be a traffic stop with law enforcement officer or confrontation with law enforcement officer. And uh, category three will be immediate aftermath um, with responding law law enforcement after an assault, after an incident has, has ended. So which of the, I'll let you pick, man, which of those do we start with? Let's uh, let's start with stop and assault. I like that one. Okay. Stop and assault. So, you know, this is that, that moment where I think I got a, a threat of some sort and I'm trying to stop it and or deescalate it. I'm, I'm hoping I don't got to resort to trigger pressing, but um, there's some things that are probably important here. Things that come out of my mouth should do should achieve a, a couple of objectives in my mind. I, I want to hear your input in a minute. But I think that one, I'm trying. My primary objective is to stop the assault, to to de-escalate this, to resolve it immediately. So things coming out of my mouth hopefully are oriented toward that, to getting this assault to stop. But also, the words that are coming out of my mouth may have impact later in a courtroom when I'm trying to justify my actions and say, hey. You know, this is how this escalated. This is how I made this decision to fire, grab my knife or to deploy my whatever. 
Um, and so if witnesses can get up like, you know, I heard that dude, I, I heard the defendant shout such and such, um, that, that, that could be pretty impactful in, in the narrative that is painted. So, so what are some of your thoughts about that scenario and, uh, and the value and importance of what's said? Yeah, that the main thing is look at the second and third order effects of your verbiage, um, because that that's going to be documented somewhere. That's going to be, you know, the whole world is on camera now. Everybody's got a cell phone in their pocket and the verbiage that you use could, could be construed 101 different ways, as well as the way that you say it. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things that it's, it's not necessarily a pet peeve of mine, but you know, stop that word. Stop. Well, stop what? Stop a car, stop the, you know, Stop breathing, stop living. What, what what are you saying stop to, you know, and, and what actions are creating the need for you to say, stop doing that. So that that's one that I think is kind of a default phrase that people use. Hey, stop. And it's, and it's not necessarily a good conveyance of what your intent is um, or what your intent to try to prevent is. Does that make mm. sense? That's interesting. Because actually, Brian, you know, you're you're making me question my my whole life here, because um, I I've always thought of stop as a really solid good word because of its simplicity. It's one mm-hmm. word, and so if I'm trying to uh, articulate something quickly, that is probably easy to get out of my mouth when my heart is pounding. Stop should be at the top of my easy list. You know, it's easy to rehearse in advance. I can verbalize it a certain way. We talk about that in a minute, but um, I, I, you're making me rethink that, right? Because if if later someone, you know, it'd be really easy for for a prosecutor to say, well, when he said stop, you know, my client thought he was talking about stopping this other thing, right? It's not terribly specific, right? Um, and and so it doesn't may it may be problematic to painting uh, the right picture. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it, it's a good word to have in your in your toolbox there. Uh, but it, if you look at the second and third, third order effect, like, well, what did you do before you shot that guy? Well, I told him to stop. Well, stop what, what was he doing that made you say stop? And then you have, you know, nine witnesses that go, yeah, what did you hear? Well, I heard stop. And then I heard a bunch of gunfire. Well, who said stop? Was it the guy that got shot saying, stop, don't shoot me. I mean, it, it just leaves a lot to, to the imagination, right? You know, stop walking towards me. You're being aggressive. Stop. Something more, descri- a little more descriptive to kind of set the, the tone or the uh, context of the incident, right? Um, one of my, one of my favorite phrases to use, and I've used this one off work and at work is get away from me because Think about the visual imagery of that a little more second, third order, right? Well, what, what, what did you hear from random citizen in the crowd? I heard somebody say, get away, you know, get away from me. Well, what, what kind of imagery does that put? Well, that means that person that maybe has just suffered a grievous wound from a armed citizen or a cop or whatever it is, he was doing something that made that he was encroaching on that person. He was, you know, he was making an advance on this person versus stop. Well, it leaves a lot to the imagination, right? 
get away what from about, me. Uh, what about back off, Brian? Um, yeah, I mean, I think coupled with some additional description, and I think that's where we kind of lose sight of things, um, is, yeah, it's great to have the word stop. It's great to, you know, all these these other little micro phrases, but if you don't add a descriptor to the end of it, it really it can mm-hmm. really get lost in context. Yeah. This is great. This is great food for thought. You know, if you're listening to this right now, you might be thinking, oh, geez, there's maybe more to this than I thought. And and our intent is not to get you scrambled in your brain. Our idea, the intent here is to get you to think through some of the implications so that you can pick some phrases that you think are going to work in a lot of situations and 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 rehearse those, make them part of your training. Um, so get away from me. Get away from me. Um, mm-hmm. Brian, this is also a situation, this one we're talking about, kind of preventing the assault, de-escalating the situation, where tone and pitch and command of voice become highly relevant. Uh, share some some thoughts you have about that. Yeah, I think trying to be ginger about a suspect or a little a little more, or not a suspect, a situation, uh, a little more cautious about it, like saying, hey, step back. Well, that's a very confrontational phrase. You know, if I'm if I'm not someone of authority and I tell you to do something, it immediately becomes a conflict, even though I've said it in a really low tone of voice. Hey, hey step back a little bit. Uh, now, if I'm in a uniform and I have some official capacity there and I say, hey, buddy, you might take a couple steps back for me. You know, like I've got a situation here and I need a little space. OK, that's maybe not as confrontational, but I'm walking my, you know, my gal and kids through the park and some guy encroaches on me and I say, Hey, take a couple steps back for me. That's fighting words, right? Well, you don't have any authority over me. Why would I, why would I listen to you? So you could be trying to deescalate that and in effect, completely escalate it to the point of physical assault just by the words you say, right? Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Like yeah, there's that's totally valid. Um, and, and that's also, I think that we also have to be cautious because there's some cultural nuance here. A phrase that works real well in Houston, Texas might not play so well on the streets in New York City. Um, and so, you know, knowing the audience a little bit is also, you know, kind of relevant and, and thinking through that, in a, you know, a little bit and looking for the most universal phrases we can, we could think of that are, you know, going to work. Right. And, yeah, you talk cultural differences. I'll I'll, uh, I'll throw a cultural example in there that that happened to me in uh, at a California pizza kitchen in Southern California on a vacation. You know, uh, my my spouse walks through the door and I hold the door door open for her like a, you know like a good dude does, right? And there's a young lady behind her and I stand there and I hold the door and I'm like, hi, how you doing? And she freezes and like backs up. I'm like, what? what's going on here? Like I'm holding the door open for you. That's what, that's what people in the Midwest do, man. It's just part of our, our thing. Right. Um, you know, we try to be, uh, gentlemanly and and courteous and, and, and it's kind of a, you know, it's a sign of courtesy and like this person has good manners. Well, in California, it means why is this crazy dude holding the door open for me? Like, and I, I was like, okay, well, I'll walk in first. And then I reached back to hold the door open so she could come through it. And she wouldn't. I'm like, this is the United States. Like, and it's two vastly different, uh, 
different cultures right there in full display. And uh, so it, it was it was an odd moment to say the least. And I'm like, well, I'm going to feel bad the rest of the week, just letting the door slam behind me. But I guess that's the way they operate here. That's like, um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, cultural differences. Um, have you seen the, the, the deputy Ding killer video who this was from Georgia years or constable. Uh, I don't think so. It's traffic stop and the the guy loads an M1 carbine and oh yeah yes, kills yes, the yes, officer. Yes, yes. Um, you know one of the things I learned about that incident was that officer had said, "Hey, take your hands out of your pockets," uh, it, which is a very innocuous phrase that a lot of cops use. Hey, keep keep your hands out of your pockets for me. Appreciate that. And he does it in a very non confrontational way. But that gentleman was so keyed up on this like warrior culture that that was an, an absolute insult that this younger man told him to take his hands out of his pockets. And it ultimately resulted in a fatality. So there's a cultural, uh, cultural reference that, that ultimately escalated. So, so yeah, I, I think that's, those are things you need to be aware of when you're, you know, when you're being the responsible citizen carrying a gun in public. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, in these situations too, I think that rehearsing and, and, and making these phrases part of your training means considering how you say them. Uh, so tone matters. So for example, uh, get away from me. Uh, one that you suggested that I really like, I'm latching onto that a little bit uh, is very different. If I say, uh, can you get away from me versus like a very forceful, like get away from me. Right. Uh, and, and we're, you know, those who have been involved in the self-defense game for a while, and I, I imagine most of you listening to this, we understand that um, it's also a question of communicating what kind of person you are. Mm-hmm. Um, we see this especially a lot in, you know, a lot of the, you know, female never be a victim kind of training, refuse to be a victim stuff, um, where you're baked in the curriculum, we, we teach this idea that you, you don't want to appear to be an easy victim. And, portraying a personality of, you know, forcefulness and strength and confidence um, also makes you look like a a more difficult victim. And so the way we say those things really matters. And uh, it's, it's one of those things like when we're doing a force on force scenario um, for those of you who've done force on force training, it's really interesting to me how little is said. So when you do a debrief, next time you guys do a force-on-force scenario, or if you can think back to some force-on-force you've done recently, or if there's videos you can review, it is remarkable to me how little is said. Like almost every time we'll get done with the force-on-force scenario, and I'm like, well, did you give him any commands? And our defender will be like, ah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I did. Or, or, or I think I said stop or, you know, whatever they might have think that they said. But almost without fail, the answer is no, you didn't. Like all of us who are watching can tell you, words never escaped your lips because the brain is so wrapped up. And what am I seeing? What, what, how do I need to react? Uh, what's, what's going on? Is there another attacker? Oh, does that a knife in his hands? I'm not sure. Is that his phone? You know, there's so much like computing happening that the, the mouth like just shuts off. And this is the moment when it needs to be used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, even my little pet favorite phrase, get away from me. If you, if you and I are sitting, you know, within earshot at the table and I look across and give you a stern look and say, get away from me at a very low tone of voice, that becomes fighting words. 
right? That sure. escalates the situation. Whereas if we're already at the point that there's getting ready to be a confrontation and I very loudly verbalize that, um, that maybe is a, uh, an indicator that I'm not somebody to be trifled with. Right. Um, and it's, we were already past the point of interpersonal conflict. Now I'm telling you, get away from me or bad things are going to happen. Like this is not going to go well. So the context of any phrase can be, Oh, how to say it can be shifted in a number of different directions. Um, that just happens to be one of my favorites when you get to the level of things are getting ready to not happen or they're going to go down mm-hmm. uh, because that clearly expresses your intent or your, you're not going to get trifled with here. You're not going to be a victim here. You're um, you know, I, I live in a, a very urban area and we have a, a pretty, pretty high homeless population. And a lot of them are, pretty harmless, so to speak. Uh, but if they start to encroach and you, you say, get away from me, all of a sudden it's like, Oh, Hey, I'm not going to hit you up for a buck. Like, or it's okay. That, that means the incident has started. Um, and, and I've seen that go both ways with people. Uh, but that one is very clear to me because anybody that's in earshot of that hears that and goes, "Uh oh, someone was trying to get in their space," and that's that's not okay with anyone, right? Uh, that you know that from just using the simple phrase, "Stop, stop what? Stop walking? Stop moving? Stop breathing? What, what do you want me to stop?" Um, and then get back is another another one of my favorites. Mm, get back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same thing about space. Hey, I need more space. You're encroaching. It's very similar to get away from me. Um, yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. So, for those of you listening uh, to this, you know, you might have other ideas of other phrases that you might like or that you think are good. But we've given you some things to think about. You know, what are the implications when people, you know, are reporting witnesses or saying what they heard? Um, how are we saying those things? At what point in a conflict is that particular phrase that you're thinking about? appropriate makes a lot of sense versus you know at a different point in a conflict is that just escalating the issue and making it worse Uh, so those are good thoughts let's transition brian to uh one of our other two scenarios here what what should we play with next uh law enforcement confrontation or post incident i guess both are kind of law enforcement confrontations but one's more serious than the other yeah let's talk post incident for a minute okay so our context here is Something's gone down. The incident is is over, more or less, and uh, maybe shots have been fired, or maybe not. Um, it's really not terribly relevant. But now, you know, the the Bryans of your world are showing up in uniform and badge and saying, "Hey, I got a job to do, so I'm going to do my job, and I got to talk to these people." Before we get into any of our specific thoughts or recommendations, I'm going to allow us to just debunk one of my favorite horrible myths in the game, and that is this idea that we should all memorize the following phrase. And I hate this phrase, Brian, but I, I'm, I'm going to let you give your own commentary, but it's all, along the lines of, I feared for my life and the life of my loved ones. What do you think on that one? Cause I've, I've been hearing that one for decades. We've been telling people to memorize that one. Yeah. I think that's a good one for a post interview. <laughs> Maybe like, you know, under advice of counsel like that. Okay. Uh, 
you know, if I've got my attorney sitting next to me and this, this summation of the entire day's incidents is, you know, Hey man, I was scared for my, for my life and my family's life after I have explained in great detail under advice of counsel over here, the reasons that, that, that fear was, was uh, present. Uh, but just, you know, bad guy laying on the ground. I'm the good guy. And I go, I was in fear of my life and my life and my family. I'm like, one, that sounds canned. And two, that sounds like you're immediately trying to justify the outcome of the incident without putting any context to the incident. And the context of the incident is where people get criminally prosecuted, right? Makes sense. That's why we have things like CCW safe and, and, yes. and other yeah, companies I, out there, right? And I, <laughs> what I hate about this phrase is one, it's not universally applicable. Mm-mm. You might be talking about an incident that had nothing to do with your life or the life of your. I mean, if I'm out in the street, my my family's back at the house. Like, then why am I even saying that? It's not even relevant. Um, so that's one challenge I have. I hate the fact, that, like you said, it sounds extremely canned. Uh, officers know when crap is canned, right? They're like, oh my gosh, really? Um, it also sounds like I have a lot of control if I'm able to skip over all this stuff and I'm just saying I was in fear of my life, you know, and I want an attorney. Um, that, that concerns me, you know, if I was the officer, I'm not, I'm not a a case. Anyone's wondering who's listening. I'm not a cop. I've never been a cop. I just can only assume what a a Brian would be thinking, but it would sound like, okay, this guy's got a lot of control to immediately start reading off the card in his wallet. You know, this little bucket phrase that everyone's told him to say, but the real beef I have with that particular phrase is that our industry seems to think that it's magical. Like if I say these words, I'm for sure good to go. Like they're not, they're, they're not going to arrest me. I can't be charged. And if they do, I'm for sure going to be found innocent because I said this magic phrase when they showed up. Like, and that's the problem is this, this like inherent belief that this phrase is magical and it will for sure just immediately justify all my actions, no matter what they were. Yeah. And that is ultimately what, what gives you the ability or, or, to defend yourself, right? Is I was scared for my life and or the life of, of this person that's that's dear to me. Um, so it's a major contributing factor, right? Well, it, that's that, it, right. You you summed it up perfect. That's a major contributing factor. Well, if the context of the incident doesn't support that, it doesn't matter what phrase you just said. It doesn't uh, even matter if you were really in fear. What matters is if a reasonable person in your shoes would have interpreted the situation to be one of immediate threat of death or serious bodily injury. So, so it's, it's just, yeah, nothing about it is magical. It has no actual legitimate out bearing on the outcome of your legal circumstance. And it sounds extremely canned and it might not even be relevant to the situation. Right. And, and one of the, one of the viewers here just, just typed, it sounds premeditated. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, <laughs> That's something we don't, you know, that you don't hear a lot of people talk about, but absolutely sounds premeditated and a cop rolling up in the first, the first phrase out of your mouth is I was in fear of my life and the life of my loved ones. Well, you've thought about this quite a bit, haven't you? Like you've, you've (laughs) thought about what you were going to say when that incident with that's the first thing, even if I'm not a cop, let's say Joe citizen walks up on that scene and you look at Joe citizen and say, I was in fear of my life and the life of my loved ones. Joe Citizen, a reasonable person, is going to go, that sounds like you've been waiting a long time to do that. It makes sense? Yeah, um, not, not bueno. 
So let's talk about some things that might be more appropriate. The first thing that comes to my mind when we talk about incident aftermath, Brian, is that I understand from my limited legal knowledge that while I have a right to be silent from, from the Constitution of the United States, that that it's not as simple as that. And and a lot of people, I think, are under the false impression, as I understand it, that nothing I say matters until I've been read my rights, right? Oh, until the officer reads me my rights, nothing that comes out of my mouth can be used against me. That's obviously not the case. I know that that's not the case. I think the average person listening to this this podcast hopefully knows that's not the case. We've had uh, legal experts on to discuss that in the past in past episodes. But but it is important at some point to somehow invoke that right, that right of silence. Because once I invoke that right, at that point, things that come out of my mouth are are protected to some degree. So talk to that a little bit and give us some ideas of what might be appropriate verbiage. Well, uh, from my own experience, uh, you know, I've I've rolled on a, a, a several serious incidents and had. A, you know, the victim of a violent crime say, oh, my God, I just stabbed that guy. Well, that is absolutely admissible. There is no I'm not detaining you. You're not in custody. That's another thing that, um, you know, legal experts could talk to this point way better than I can. But in my limited knowledge, you know, if I don't have you detained, if you are not in my under my supervision, control and quote in custody, and I've did, I've taken you from where you're at and put you in a police car, an office, somewhere where you're not allowed to leave. Any utterance you make is admissible until the point that I say, "Okay, I need to speak with you," and I'm I'm going to take you into custody to do that. That's when I have to read you your rights. That's when I have to inform you about them. Uh, even in a cursory investigation, meaning, hey, we don't know what happened. I look at someone and say, hey, can you tell me what happened? And if the first thing they say is, yeah, that guy attacked me and I killed him. That's all admissible. There, There's no, uh, well, I hadn't read them their rights. They get that. Yeah, I can't. I got to ignore that phrase now. No, that's absolutely 100% legal in the playing field of, of uh, criminal investigation, right? Now, from that point, I'm pretty well obligated to go. Stop what you're doing. We're going to go over here. I'm going to put you in this police car. And uh, now you're in custody because now I know that you've done that. Whether it's criminal or not, we'll determine later. But uh, but yeah, any utterance you make as soon as the cops show up, that's going on a piece of paper that's probably documented on a body camera. So <laughs> so yeah, there th- that whole Mir- Miranda rights, that's, that's an in-custody interview, right? And you have the right to not self-incriminate. Um, yeah, and that comes out as the the right to remain silent. Yeah, you, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to. You're not compelled to. Um, but if the overwhelming evidence is, well, you just murdered that person. And there's no context to support any of the other, you know, you're, you're rolling the dice with whether you should make a statement or not. And that's why, that's where I default to, man, I better call somebody to represent me to, to navigate this process. Right. Uh, and it's the same way for police officers. You know, you're, you're going to tell us what happened. You're going to give us your perception of what happened. Um, and a lot of police officers, that's a compelled statement. So 
that's a whole nother man. That's a whole nother arena of legality that, that the armed citizen doesn't have to play in. So, mm-hmm. so, so Brian, then understand all that context, understand some of those legal parameters. Let's talk about phrases that might be appropriate. So something I hear a lot of fire instructors suggest, and there's a comment here as well. And, and I've, I've, you know, I've definitely heard this many times is this idea of using some language to invoke the right to remain silent. Um, you know, I invoke my right to, to, to be silent kind of thing, or, or, you know, I, I, I'm not saying anything until I get my attorney or, you mm-hmm. know, some of these kinds of things from the perspective of the cop, some of these things are going to come off as pretty um, rough, little confrontational sort of like it's me versus you now. Um what are you know? What are some variations of that, or or what might you recommend to people as a as a phrase that would be really really good? That very soft language, and and I mean humanized language. Um, you know, you got a, a a group of cops there, and and you've just been involved in an incident, and you know maybe you've deployed your firearm, maybe you've even just drawn your firearm, and that that caused the 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 incident to stop. Right is you know, here's a group of cops that are, that are, Hey, we got to investigate a crime here. And you go, Hey hey guys, gals, um, I'm more than happy to talk to you, but I need to get my representative here and just, Hey, you need to, you got to handcuff me, put me in the car, take my gut. I get it. No problem. No problem for me. And I know that's, that's pretty lengthy, but it's like, try to be human, try not to be robotic. Um, and you really can't put a phrase on that uh, that's that's very simple, but um, it's like comedians say, read the room. <laughs> it's like if somebody's being a pretty forceful jerk about it, then there's there's no sense in trying to be human about it. It's like, I'm not going to talk to you without an attorney. Just let me know where we need to make that happen. And then say nothing else. Like if it's if it's going down that road. Whereas, you know, the cops show up and go, hey, are you all right? Uh, can you kind of give us an idea of what happened? Hey, the suspect ran that way. Um, I, I really don't want to say much more if I don't have an attorney with me. Uh, you know, I'll give hey, here's the description. Here's what the guy looks like. Here's where he's going. You know, here's where he went. He said these things to me. But the right to not self-incriminate is, you know, telling the detail of, well, I pulled my gun out and I pointed it at his face and he took off running. Well, you've technically, you've committed a crime. You've committed a crime that is exempted through statutory language, right? Okay. Well, you were in fear. So that was a reasonable, uh, reasonable explanation for why you, you took the actions you did. That is where people get convicted. That's where people get criminally prosecuted is in the context of why that happened, right? It's the perception of why that happened. So there's the dangerous part of that, that encounter after the fact is, Hey, maybe I don't want to give too much detail here. Maybe Mm -hmm. I just want to give enough detail that they say, Hey, we're going to have to take you down and, and interview you. Okay. No problem. Hey, I need to get my representative with me. You don't have to say attorney. As soon as you say attorney, most cops go, Oh, great. Here comes the, you know, the cheap suit defense attorney that's going to walk in here and, and, and cause us nothing but issues. You say a phrase like representative, I'm going to have to get my representative here um, before I give a a detailed statement. 
that's pretty disarming, right? That doesn't that doesn't conjure the imagery of like Saul Goodman showing up and telling the <laughs> cops where to go and how to get there, right? That sounds like I'm part of your team. Just let me get my rep here so that we can sort, you know, we can unwind this situation and 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 dive into the minutiae. Um Yeah, I I like this. I I think uh, we have other episodes dedicated to this idea of, you know, the general camp of say nothing, say little, or say everything. And and I think that most people agree that say everything is a bad idea in the moment. Um, So you kind of get left with the two different ideas of, well, say nothing or say a little. Um, And it it becomes a question of control. And I think that Brian and I today, the, the, the context or the idea or the argument we're trying to to make for you guys, our, our viewers and our listeners is that the more of these phrases you can kind of have in your memory bank rehearsed in advance, um, the better. And so, for example, you know, Brian, based on, on your suggestion, something that I could work on and think through in advance is something like, uh, no offense officers, but I'd like to have my representative, you know, here before I, I give any sort of statement. Yeah. That's not that long. It's not that lengthy. I'm practicing it with the right tone that that I would use in the moment versus the get away from me. I'm going to practice that you know differently in the appropriate tone for that scenario, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm rehearsing in advance. I'm thinking through that. Rehearsing matters. That that's the point here of this episode, guys. Is that this is not just about well, here's some smart things to say. Like yes, we're trying to give you some ideas, but the real core, you know, takeaway from this episode is. Rehearse it in advance. Decide on a few of these things that you like. Maybe a couple of them are going to have some insert you know, thing here, but but decide on a few of these that you guys like and rehearse them. Yeah. Daryl uh, Balky, my dear friend, Daryl and I, we, we have this thing we call tactical daydreaming, <laughs> right? And I know it sounds, it sounds cheesy, uh, but it is absolutely, uh, it's absolutely relevant, right? Uh, when we would drive around in police cars, we would sit and think about what's going to happen if a stolen car pulls up to that stop sign. What am I going to do? What is my verbiage? What am I going to sound like on the radio? How am I going to, uh, you know, initiate a stop? If I get in a police car chase and it's going this direction, what street signs am I going to pass that I'm going to have to relay or convey? Uh, you know, if somebody jumps out of that building and it's on fire, what am I going to tell the dispatcher that I'm seeing hearing, smelling, tasting, how do I convey that? So he and I, you know, miles apart and years apart in careers, we both do that like all the time, right? That's, uh, but that's, that's something that not everyone does. And, and, uh, you know, I do that when I'm walking to go get a burger, I think, okay, I'm going to take these streets. So if something happens between here and there, I know where I'm at. I can convey that. Well, what happens if somebody robs me? What happens if I see someone get robbed? Um, all these things you can you can go a lot of places in your mind without ever having to um, <laughs> draw a gun, right? You can go you can go through a lot of this scenario that doesn't take long, and just think about what you're going to say. Think about not only during the incident, but what but after the incident. Well, if I just had to display my firearm, but I didn't have to physically shoot someone what am i going to say in the aftermath of that 
what am I going to tell a dispatcher when I get on 911 or whatever the emergency services line? What am I get, what verbiage am I going to use? Because here's a little clue. If you call 911, it's recorded forever and ever. Everything you say is recorded. Everything that you can hear in the background, all of that is admissible. So, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of time to go. If I walk out my front door right now and somebody comes up to rob me, okay, how am I going to handle that? What words am I going to use? Um, am I going to feign compliance? Uh, what what am I going to tell the, the dispatcher? Okay, I'm going to tell him this happened. What am I going to tell the cop when he shows up? You know, what what's the guy wearing? What kind of clothes, you know? Uh, and, and really start to play those things out in your mind. Um, Tom Givens did an exercise in that in his instructor class. I won't give the full thing away, but it was just a visualization of an incident. And it was an incident one of his students had been involved in. And he plays it out in three different, uh, three different circumstances. And I'm like, man, I do that. I do that junk all the time. Like this is just how I live my life to some degree. But, uh, but some of the other people there were like, wow, that was really powerful. I'm like, yeah, that took four minutes of, of our life there to play out a scenario based on a real incident and think about all the different things that are going to happen before, during and after. Right. If we think it's important to practice the gun handling skills enough to take classes mm -hmm. and build some myelination there so that we can react accordingly and, and do it well, then we have to acknowledge that, that, that speaking is also a skill that also requires a certain amount of training and practice. Um, and saying the right things matters a lot, uh, both to the outcome of the incident and the outcome to the aftermath. Um, thank you, Brian. Those are great thoughts. We're, we're going to cycle back to kind of our last little category here, and I'm sure there's plenty of other things we could discuss in this, in this topic. Um, our intent is not to give you a cheat sheet list of phrases. Our intent is to just give you some ideas of things so you can go build your own kind of cheat sheet of things that you want to rehearse and train and practice. But let's talk, Brian, about law enforcement confrontations. This is a stressful thing for a lot of people, uh, people who don't get pulled over as often as me. And uh, <laughs> I won't admit to any crimes publicly on the podcast. You should, you should so that's all I can say about that. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I really like traffic stops. Actually, I kind of find them entertaining. The, the takeaway here is, that's a stressful environment. It's another th place where we might need to have some thoughts. Um, two things kind of my mind into kind of breaking this down. One would be maybe how I'm going to talk to the officer relative to informing them I have a firearm. Some states require that. Uh, it's a minority. Most states don't have that kind of a requirement. But as a general industry, as a community, we tend to, to preach that as a best practice. And the second thing uh, that I'm going to take us to after we, after we go through that one is talking about uh, how we might answer the question, where's the gun? Uh, any ha half decent, half brained officer who finds out that the, the person they're confronting has a gun probably really wants to know where that gun is. That becomes highly relevant, important information. And so they're going to ask, they're going to inquire somehow about the location of the farm. And answering that question, I think, also is one of those things we might want to talk through. So give me the, the short gist of uh, you know how I'm informing the officer that I got a gun. Right. So let's let's set the stage a little bit on the background a bit. So as a cop, I have to see the infraction and then I have to like predict where you're going to stop so that I can relay that 
to my peers, partners, dispatchers, somebody that's going to come bail me out if something goes really bad. And that doesn't mean I get in a conflict with the driver. That means my police car gets hit. Your car gets hit. I get run over in the middle of the street, right? Like, so there's a high Yeah. So if you look at it from that perspective, like not just, Hey, I'm the driver and crap, what did I do? But think about all the things that are going on behind you. Okay. I got to position my car to where it's advantageous. If we do end up in a gunfight and it's also safe and protects you, the dri- the motorist in front of me. So that if a car gets hits my car, it doesn't careen into yours and kill you. Right. That's, these are all things that are going on in the background that you have. Most people probably, I'd, I'd say there's probably several listeners that have never heard some of these things. Right. Um, I've got to give tag information. I've got to give, you know, vehicle descriptors, things like that. While I'm trying to drive, while I'm trying to pick the spot to do this, while there's traffic, you know, hopefully there's not semis at 80 miles an hour going by at the same time, right? All all of these things play into that. And now I walk up, I'm already keyed up because here we are, everything here is dangerous and I haven't even spoken to you yet. And now I walk up and you tell me you have a gun. (laughs) Well, that's one of two ways. If the context of that is I've got a gun. Okay. That sounds pretty like we're getting ready to be in a, in a, in a gunfight, right. Versus how's it going officer. Uh, Just going to let you know, I'm carrying a firearm. I have my permit. I have, you know, or if it's constitutional carry state, Hey, uh, I'm, I'm carrying a gun. Blah, blah, blah. You know, something disarming, so to speak, to kind of de-escalate the tension of, hey, this dude has just had to go through 800 things back here just to get where he's at. And all of them are dangerous and all of them are can be catastrophic. Hey, I, I just to let you know, like, OK, I'm going to humanize because I care about you. Just going to let you know I'm, I'm carrying a firearm. OK, where's it at? What is your human instinct when someone asks you, where is it at? The point and show is the natural reaction. Point, grab, and show to someone who is keyed up that everything around them is about to kill them to conduct this traffic stop. So I like to say, keep your hands neutral, like on the wheel or somewhere, you know, between my face and the wheel where they're very visible. Say, hey, my gun's in a holster. Uh, you know, in an, in an appendix rig or, Hey, I'm wearing my gun on the right hip or the left hip and maybe tilt your head that direction, but not your hands. Okay. Cause I can't shoot you with my feet. Right. So if I say, Hey, my, my gun, keep my hands up here and go, yeah, my gun's right down here in a holster. Um, well then what's the next logical question? I need your driver's license insurance. And if you got your concealed carry permit. Okay, they're in my wallet that's right next to my gun. Like, say nothing more. They're they're in my wallet that's next to my gun. Then you let that person drive the narrative and not you. That's one thing that uh, the American male ego is not very comfortable with, is letting someone else take the the reins of that situation and putting, putting the... Um, the obligation to act back on that person, meaning the cop, right? Mm-hmm. 
So those are there's some good phrases there for us to rehearse. And it, it might even be worth rehearsing some of those things sitting in a car in the environment uh, because there's also physical movement things that become really relevant here, right? So things like keeping my hands on the wheel. The wheel's in neutral position. It's out here in front. It's something I can actually grasp uh, mm-hmm. that I can hold on to, which maybe makes it easier to make sure my hands stay there versus if I'm just kind of floating them out. So that so there's, you know, rehearsing that in that environment and having some of those key phrases works really well. So an example, you know, try, taking, you know, from what you said, Brian, and just trying to kind of put it in some specific language, an example might be something like, uh, hey, officer, just want to let you know I have a concealed carry permit and I'm armed. Uh, what, you know, what do you want me to do next? Yeah. Something like that would be um, kind, respectful, informative. Uh, oh, where, where's the gun? Oh, officer, uh, it's in my waistband uh, in the front on the right-hand side, about one o'clock, appendix carry, right? I've kind of described the same thing three different ways. I've rehearsed that in advance. I'm you know, keeping my hands on the wheel. So, so if you're listening to this, guys, like take some of these contextual ideas that Brian is sharing and come up with some language you feel meets the – the objective here, which is respect, uh, information, um, non-confrontational kind of language, and 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 you know think through that and rehearse it a little bit and get good at it. Right, um, and also something that you know I think a lot of trainers discount is okay. Yeah, I just I gave you the the context of what the officer is going through, and I'm not giving away any trade secrets because it's all on body cam now. Like the whole world knows how that happens, right? Um, think about what the lights look like in the rear view and what your what your anxiety level is when you see that. You know, think about what it looks like when the spotlight hits your rear view mirror and you can't see what's coming up behind you, um, right? I mean, that's a pretty unsettling feeling. Um, you know, envision what that feels and looks like so that when it does happen, you can at least manage that, that anxiety factor of, okay, there's someone behind that. They just turned the lights on. I have committed, I've done some traffic infraction. So now I got to pull over. Uh, or, you know, the last time I got, I got stopped um, in Texas of all places uh, the the guy bumped the siren it was daytime and it scared the living crap out of me i was like whoa oh man i hope and you know my thoughts were being the cop a i hope this guy hadn't been following me very long right (laughs) and because he's going to be ticked off that he's had to give his location out six different times uh which gave me a talking point and it turned out it was like it wasn't even a traffic infraction like there were keys in my trunk (laughs) I was just trying to give me my keys back. That's happened to me once or twice. But uh, <laughs> but the point being is I was like, okay, the first thing I'm going to say is, oh, my gosh, sorry, I didn't see you back there. I hope you weren't following me along. And he goes, oh, are you a cop? I'm like, yeah, man, sorry, dude. It Was, was it going a little quick or something? He's like, no, man, your keys are in your trunk. Okay, cool. But there again, like envision what's – like what is your physiological response when you see the the lights and you hear the siren behind you, how that's going to key you up and the officers already keyed up and some things that you can say to not be confrontational in that moment. I've had people that literally, sorry to use that word, but 
they they physically couldn't talk when I walked up to the window but, 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 because they had never been stopped on traffic before. I'm like, it's okay. Calm down. Like, I just need your license and your insurance. And, and just like having to take one thing at a time. But on the other side of that, like being an armed citizen, you, you, you kind of have a higher degree of anxiety in that situation because you're armed. Right. Um, so little subtle things that you can do, like not reach for your insurance as you're getting pulled over. Right. Maybe carrying your wallet in a place that you can reach down, get it and put it in your hand when you pull over. That doesn't require a phrase to even remember, you know, uh, a lot of times I travel and I keep my wallet under my left leg because, you know, the right legs operate in the pedals. So that way, if something happens, I reach down I, as I'm pulling off the side of the road and I've got all my credentials right here. So I don't have to reach for anything. Um, you know, there, there's little subtle things you can do like that to dis, I hate the phrase disarm, but to to really take a lot of the stress and intensity out of that situation, right? That you can do without even having to speak. And then mm -hmm. when you do speak, be very concise, but very human, right? Yeah. Apologetics always good. Sorry. Hey, sorry. <laughs> don't know what I don't know what I did, but a little vulnerability, a little vulnerability, a little like openness, human openness, like kindness goes a long way. Really hope you didn't have to follow me far. I just saw your lights, man. Really sorry. Um, but back to that. Um, hey, I, I'm I'm armed. I'm carrying a gun. Um, and if you have your credentials in your hands, you don't have to reach for anything, right? But if you say, man, my wallet is in my right back hip pocket back there. And if I reach for it, it's going right next to my gun. How you, how you want to handle that? I mean, I'm more than willing to get it for you, but you know, do you need to get somewhere you can see it? You know, <laughs> like, like try to be human about it. Like, like, Hey, I don't want to get shot, man. You don't want to be like, let's, let's be, let's be on the same team here. Right. Um, yep. Yep. Love it. Guys, this is about all the time we have. We're going to start to wrap this up. I, I think that in summary, what Brian and I are trying to convey is that there's a lot you can do in advance by thinking through some of these environments, by considering the context and, and the relevant impact of what you say and, and how it can you know, make things better or worse, and considering some, some key phrases or, or commands um, that might be highly valuable to you in these different contexts that you can train, you can practice and rehearse in advance, and that the value that that could be to you is, is, is enormous. Um, I think we could we could keep the conversation going. In fact, I was thinking about going back and looking at you know we were talking about nine one one calls. That's another one mm -hmm. situation or environment that we could we could get into if we wanted. But but our time is up for today, so this might be something we revisit again later. You know, send us an email if you liked this. If you'd like to hear more about this, or you have other thoughts or feedback, you can send us an email podcast at concealedcarry.com, or you can go to the website and write a comment uh, on this show's uh, episode. Thank you everyone for participating today, and thank you Brian for your great insights. Appreciate it. See you guys soon. So from the Consult Carry Podcast, thank you for participating. Be sure to subscribe, write a review, help us out here. Be sure to go to consultcarry.com first to do your shopping for your tactical uh, firearm and other training-related tools and gear. Thank you, everyone, for participating. Remember to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. Mm -hmm.